Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number 22. We have a really special guest on today in the form of Luke Lehman and I hope you guys really, really enjoy the show as much as I did. It was a fantastic, fantastic chat and really just a conversation um, on all things fat loss, sustainable and healthy fat loss. But what I will say is that if you guys are looking for a little bit more information on fat loss and how to do this in the correct and right way and bring your physique to the next level, the fat loss success formula is still available, of course, and it will be at all times. And if you click into the link in my bio, the second um, the second section on the list or the second one on the list is going to be a fat loss success formula. If you enter all your details, you will be able to download that and build your own very fat loss success formula. I'll also say, guys, please keep sharing the podcast. I really, really, really appreciate the support. Hopefully, you guys really enjoy this one. Please let me know what you think. Sit back, relax, and plug yourself in. Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number 22. And we have a really special guest today in uh, in the form of Luke Lehman. And Luke is first and foremost uh, a fantastic educator, um, a phenomenal coach and the co-founder of Muscle Nerds Health. So welcome to the podcast, Luke. How are you getting on today? Oh, man, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Living the dream, baby. Living the dream. Oh, dear. And this is a little bit of a fangirl moment for me as you're definitely someone that I've looked up to over the years and learned a lot from over the years. So um, I'm delighted to have you uh, on the podcast and and the main thing is that I really enjoy like your style and this is why I think that you'd be brilliant for podcast and you are brilliant for podcasts is the ease of which you communicate a message in a really relaxed um, and easy to, to digest and understand message as well and I try to replicate replicate that in my own coach as well and is this kind of something that you've you've had for for years or have you picked it up along the way this this type of style of coaching? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I'm just being me, you know, um, yeah. in an industry where everybody tries to be somebody else, um, or they're trying to stick to a certain guideline of what they should and shouldn't say or shouldn't, shouldn't do. I just, I'm just myself, man. And I, you got to realize too, I got into this industry at a time where it wasn't cool to be a personal trainer, right? Yeah. You, you tell your parents you're going to be a personal trainer and they want to disown you and say, where have we failed this person? Mm-hmm. And, but who could, who could have, thought that at some point this is going to be an actual legit career, which you can be like actually have people go, Oh, you're pretty sure that's actually pretty cool. You know? So it's been a, it's been a long road for me, but you know, I, I, I tried a lot of stuff before getting into this. And at one point I was a computer programmer. I started programming computers when I was a kid because I love computers and technology. And, And that was at a time where not that many people had a computer in the house and we just happened to have one. And then I went to college uh, to become a computer program and realized I don't want to do this anymore because I'm the only bodybuilder in my entire class and I, no one's going to understand me and this is not going to fare well. So I decided to go to my other passion, which was some form of something in this industry. And, you know, it, it was going to be, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but you know, that wasn't really going to happen because I kind of screwed around a little bit in college and, and, you know, that's really expensive. And uh, then I was going to be a physical therapist. And then I just, I kind of just got fed up with school because some of the stuff we were learning, I knew this isn't really how things work. So I just decided to stop college and travel everywhere and learn from who's the best at each thing. And I just did mentorships and spent my college money on that stuff. But it's, uh, you know, I come from an old school personal training background where we just, we were just very blunt with our clients and told them how it was. And so I just kind of carried that through and, and people seem to either really love it or really hate it. And, you know, so, but I'm not going to change the way I am. 100%. I think that you get, even you listen to podcasts and stuff like that and you listen to people talk. We could sit here and talk about 
mTOR pathways or female physiology. Just it just makes us try to look look smarter when actually just maybe the message is is kind of like that that analogy of the iceberg. We just they just we just need to relay the tip of the iceberg rather than giving yeah. them all the stuff underneath. And something that in my coaching now over the last um, while I've started to try and use that a lot more than trying to just overcomplicate a message and just needs to be that little small thing. And that's definitely something that I picked up from you. Um, so a little bit of a, an insight into you would be fantastic. Your kind of your journey. I know you touched on a little bit there, but your journey working under Charles and stuff like that mm. and, and the creation of, of Muscle Nerds Health. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, I come from a very small Texas town where there's not a whole lot to do there. It's basically um, football fucking and fighting, right? So, you know, we, we you, you, when you don't have that much to do, you, you find other shit to do. And, and I started training when I was very young for American football. I thought I was going to go to college, be a football player, which I almost did. And I shattered my ankle. Um, I thought I was going to be in the NFL and all that. Okay, none of that works. So I had to find other shit. But you know, in Texas, we start, we are, are basically, we start doing things like working cattle, building fence and, and hay, uh, baling hay. So you get like this country strong and then you layer on top of that actual real weight training. And I was lucky enough in my high school to have coaches that actually knew how to train. They were ex-collegiate athletes, ex-powerlifters. So I had a really good early start to that. Um, plus when we got the internet, that opened up the world to people like, you know, Charles Poliquin, Charles Staley, Paul Check, all of these guys uh, back in the day, who were the only people really get, giving really good advice on how to how to train, how to lift, how to you know how to get big, how to get strong, and all that. So, um, studying all these guys over a long time, doing their courses at a time where you basically you, you couldn't do an online test. They would send you a binder and a VHS tape. You'd watch the VHS tape. You take your test. You would fax it back to them, and then they send you your certification. That's how long ago this was. So. <laughs> Brilliant. It was it was wildly different than it is now when you can just go online and do everything and and do Zoom calls and consults and shit like that. It's, yeah. I think it's fantastic the way we have it now. And uh, so, you know, I, I had this I've always had a thirst for knowledge. I, I wanted to know what I need to do. But more importantly, I want to know why. If I do a what is the adaptation I get and how do I manage that? And how do I layer it into everything else? So for a long time, it was about application. Then I started wanting to know about the physiology. I sought out people to get that information. Then I got into more formal types of education and, and deeper certifications. And then I, I thought, man, it would be fantastic if someone would tell you what to do, but also tell you how the mechanisms work and why you would do it. And, and more importantly, why you would not do certain things at certain times. Nobody was doing that. So then we started Muscle Nerds. Because when I was with Charles and Pollock Group, we were telling people, program like this, do this, do that. But because there was no context of when you didn't do that or what you would do if that didn't work, because there was no chemistry involved, there was no physiology, no biology involved, you get stuck. It would work for, say, half your clients, but you'd fail the other half. So when I left Polican Group, I looked at my wife and I said, look, um, let's start our own education company. Um, we were, I was already doing online training. I've been doing that since 2007 when we were using fax machines. And, um, and so I said, where, where is there a hole in the industry? Said, Nobody's really teaching how to train normal people. You're it's advanced hypertrophy, advanced fat loss, advanced nutrition. What about just basic shit that your next door neighbor needs to, to actually get where they need to go? Because your next door neighbor doesn't need drop sets, bands and chains, weight releasers. They don't need all this stuff. They need to learn how to move better and then get stronger in movement. And that's a vastly different mindset than what we've been taught up to this point in the industry. 
They don't need, they don't want to be dick skin lean. They don't want to fucking bench press 500 pounds. They want to take a solid shit once in a while. They want to have a better sex life. They don't want their back to hurt while they're having sex. They want to wake up with a lot of energy. They want to be able to play with their kids. I mean, that's realistically what it's all about when it talks to Gen Pop. So I said, okay, how do I take all the stuff I've learned about how to train high level athletes? How do I distill that down into something usable for the Gen Pop and the mindset that what they're looking for? And so we started Muscle Nerd six years ago and it's taken off really well. And I think what I'm happy about is that before six years ago, nobody thought about health. It was all about performance. It was all about looking better naked. And we started getting people more interested in taking blood pressure, HRV, heart rate, uh, body temperature, orthopedic profiling, like taking all the stuff that we should have been doing all along and saying, okay, we need to use this with people and figure out what's the best course of action to make them healthier. And then we can layer on performance as an afterthought. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the main thing is that we were even just discussing off air. It isn't just to make someone shredded in eight to 12 weeks. It's so much more than that. And the underlying mechanisms and the physiology that's going on underneath is so important because we, yes, we can stand in front of a camera and have a smile on your face, but feel so shit underneath that. It's oh, just yeah. Not- it's not worth it then it's not worth the buy-in and you just have this this yo-yo of gain body fat lose loads of body fat it's just this yo-yo across the year that's obviously ridiculously unhealthy to do i think those kind of basics and those fundamentals is something that you clearly are passionate about and, and teach very very well as well thank you thank you i i am passionate i'm very passionate about this stuff um i think that's the the, the problem too is that with, with the internet everything's so accessible so yeah. People will come to a trainer and they'll say, hey, I want to look like this Instagram model. And you're looking at it like, okay, hold on. You work 60 hours a week. You're a single mom with two kids. Um, Like, you got to be realistic. Like, all this person that you're looking at does all day is eat, sleep, poop, and do steroids. Like, that's it. Um, If you want to look like that, you're going to have to quit your job, sell your kids to gypsies, get on steroids, and, and make this like your job. Like, that's... This is not realistic. And so yeah. it's it's basically selling a pipe dream of what people can do. And and, and they can do this, but it, it's the irrational, what's the time frame? Anybody can build a world, world-class physique, but they, under, they have to understand it has to be in the context of your timeline, not some Instagram influencer asshole that isn't telling you about all the shit that they're doing that you don't know about. 100%, 100%. I think that that's something that um, you can see just so clearly and that people selling these eight week glute programs because this girl has a massive glutes on thing and everyone just buys into that where there's just just un- unapplicable for, for most people on the planet to be honest yeah and then you find out that that girl actually got ass implants so it doesn't yeah, fuck exactly. booty program doesn't <laughs> work anyway <laughs> absolutely um so in terms of of the topic of conversation i think that and um, the, the phrase metabolism i'm sure is going to come up once or twice so i did kind of want to just unpack uh, the word or what exactly is a metabolism and um, for the listeners, just so they can put context to it. And um, why do we need to understand about it? And, and what does it do have to do with uh, overall health and body composition? Yeah, I mean, okay, look, when you look at the metabolism, the way I uh, the way I look at this is you're looking at a coin. And you're trying to manage both sides of the coin. On one side, you have anabolic processes. And on the other side, you have catabolic processes. So with an anabolic process, you're taking little things and you're putting them together to make big things. With the catabolic process, it's the opposite. You take big things, make them into smaller things. And you need both sides of this. You can't have one exclusively without the other, and your body doesn't. If you understand that concept and understand that you need both, 
then it's very easy to figure out how much percentage of time I need to spend in each one of those things in order to build a physique or build strength or build health. So for instance, if uh, you think about all young men, when they get into weight training, they get into weight training, as far as I can see for one main thing, and it's to get more pussy or more whatever, depending on what your sexual orientation is. But that's really what it is. You're either bullied as a young man or you're trying to pick up chicks, right? So you get into weight training. You say, well, if I get really big and muscular, more girls will want me and more dudes will stop beating me up. So you say, well, what do I need to do? I need to eat a lot of food and train a lot and I need to get really fucking big. And then they do this for a couple of years and they end up just big and fat. Like they look, they maybe look good in clothes, but the minute they take the shirt off, it's like, ooh, you look like a melted candle. And then they freak out and they, they go the opposite way. So they go from extreme anabolic stuff and they go straight into extreme catabolic stuff. And then they, they get shredded, but they lose all the muscle mass they've been putting on. So it's the pendulum. It's a human pendulum thing, right? If we have a choice, we're going to go to one extreme versus the other. So the key is to understand that pendulum needs a swing, but it needs a swing at a certain amount, one direction and then a certain amount, another and we don't want to go to the extremes if we want longevity and we want to make this a long-term thing. If you look at, at, at women, you know, uh, society tells you you're never skinny enough. You need to fit a certain size, you know, all, all this stuff. And so they do the opposite. They go into extreme catabolic stuff. They do, you know, lots of Zumba or running or whatever. They starve the shit out of themselves. And then they, they develop a, a pattern of like binging and purging using exercise, exercise and starving to purge. And, and then, you know, sitting in their closet watching Oprah and eating bonbons when they go into the purging mode, right? So all of this stuff is massively dysfunctional. Um, Unfortunately, the industry pushes people into thinking that this is the only way. No one's telling you that you need to do a long-term approach if you want this to last forever. So there are times where you might want to speed it up and kind of dig in, but you can't do that indefinitely. So if I'm going to go into a massive calorie deficit and a lot of exercise, I need to make a a date of a start time and an end time and then go back to a cruise, right? So you you can lose fat fast or you can lose it forever. You can't usually do those things at the same time. So I think if people would have a more realistic time frame um, and if more trainers would would promote a realistic time frame and stop this eight-week, 12-week bullshit, uh, the industry would be a hell of a lot better and we wouldn't have to fix so many people to get screwed up by other people. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And um, probably something that I did fall into the trap again, because I never knew um, about this kind of stuff when I was early on in my coaching career, first year or so, I used to do these kind of eight, 12 week transformations. And and that like deadline, like that's what I always used to call it. Now I can call it a deadline. We had this like deadline that had to be in eight weeks. So it had to be really, really aggressive. Where now it's, that's just, just not the way we should do things and having a slower, much slower tapered approach because that lasts forever. So it'd be like the aggressive swinging of the pendulum is those four, eight week, 12 week transformations where the slower swing of the pendulum is that kind of slower and, and better and more ethical pro- process for sure. Yeah, 100%, man. Slow and steady to me wins the race. Now, you got to keep that in context because when you look at the literature, it's pretty clear that if you go really fast, it tends to be more effective. But then when you look more into the literature, they're using obese subjects. Okay. Most of my clients aren't that, aren't that fat. They're just a little fat and they want to look a little bit better. So there's no reason for them to rush things at the start when we could just have small pockets of rushing and then long pockets of of cruising 
And uh, it, it tends to work a lot better and you get a lot less dysfunction, a lot less psychological issues and food, strange food issues and strange exercise addictions and, and things like that. Yeah. And, and then you can work on fixing a lot of things at the same time, like, you know, building certain body parts up. So you have a nice finished product, getting rid of pain, getting rid of dysfunction, moving better, feeling better, getting stronger. Get, you know, there's a lot of different things you can work on other than just always focusing on fat loss, which is what 98% of people focus on. And even mental fatigue as well. That's one thing that I try and say, like the mental fatigue of dieting and dieting and running these. And we're going to touch on that kind of stuff stuff later of how we can maybe get ourselves out of this fat loss phase. And um, but the from a mental fatigue standpoint, like it's just it's it gets hard. You get almost into a um, I use this phrase a lot. You almost get used to feeling shit, and it's like you're 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 almost your um, psyche is just to feel shit because that's how yeah. I'm supposed to feel. And then when you pull out of a, of a fat loss phase, whatever it is, you go, Oh my God, what's going yeah. on? Train performance, sex drive, energy, mood, everything all starts to go in a positive direction, which is probably what we should f- be feeling um, most of the time. Anyway, it's insane. It's, it's, it's insane to me that it's just generally accepted that when you lose fat, you're not going to be able to get a great boner and you're not going to have sex. And, or if you're a girl, you're probably going to lose your period. Maybe you spot a little bit like that is not, those aren't really good physiological signs of progression. If you're losing your period, you're becoming eumenorrheic. That is not a good sign. And it's completely unnecessary. If you just play by a certain set set of standards and um, you know, don't take your energy availability to ridiculously low levels and and then understanding what that actually means, right? So if you're losing your sex drive, that's not good. If your sleep's getting disrupted because you're dieting, that's not good. Uh, if you're if your ability to recover from training is not great, that's still not good. If your desire to train and be compliant, that's not good either. And so, if people would just look at it and say, okay, I need to lose, let's say I need to lose 20 kilos, all right. If I just say, okay, it's going to take me a year to lose that, that's massively easier to sustain long-term and do than to say, I'm going to try to lose that in 12 weeks, Yeah, right? Can you do it in 12 weeks? Yeah, you can do that 12 weeks, but can you maintain it after you're done? Or are you going to take 20 off and then put 22 back on, which is the yo-yo that most people will do. And after they've yo-yoed five, six, seven times, it gets significantly harder to get it off and much easier to put it back on. Yeah. And it's just that, uh, that want to get everything done just what's the word i'm trying to use it's uh um impatience you know just like just want and you know what i i have been much more than i am now the most impatient person in the world and when probably back in the day when i was doing dieting phases probably going way too fast way too quick and now that we can see and like you just said it's just taking a little bit more time and doing them in maybe more phase approach rather than just trying to rinse it off in that 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 small week period yeah Um, but you know we all we've all done it because we didn't know any better right Uh, but i think there's enough information uh, available now that people shouldn't be doing that anymore it shouldn't be promoted to do it that way it should be promoted to do it in a sustainable way um, and to make sure that you know you get it off in a way that's not going to promote an unhealthy way of doing it and doing it in a way that's going to promote health. Now, if you're, if you're massively overweight, your blood pressure is really high, resting heart rate's really high, and you're super overweight, I get it. Let's go fast because going faster is going to be way better to, to get some of your health metrics looking better. Yeah. But once you get to kind of an average body fat percentage, an average weight, average BMI, there's no real inherent reason to rush this process other than that's just inherently what you want. But what you want isn't necessarily what you need. 
right? And so we have to be realistic about what people need. If I have a, if I have a woman come in and she's 50% body fat, okay, I'm going to try to get her at least the 30% or below as fast as we can do. But your physiology changes at that point. And the faster you go, the more, the more you're going to be at exposure to creating uh, some type of dysfunction, losing muscle mass, losing strength, losing sleep, fucking your guts up, fucking your mental health up. And, and I think that once you've drop that big amount of weight. If you just, if you're just knocking off a half percent a week, every week, you're going to look a little bit better. And then for women, once you get close to like a, a true 22, 23%, you're looking really good. Most girls think they're 22, 23% when they're actually 33. Most dudes think they're 10% when they're actually like 20. So for a woman, if you can get close to that 23% mark, you already look vastly better than most other girls. If you just chip away a little bit every week, you look that much better. There's no real inherent reason to, to rush it at that point. And for guys, once you get close to 15, you pretty much got a four pack and and a little bit, you're starting to see the lower abs. What's the rush to get the 10%, right? What's the, you, so you want vein in your veins in your abs. Okay, cool. But do you want it for a photo shoot and then you blow up? Or would you like to get to the point where I can teach you how to sustain 10% year round with minimal effort? Yeah, 100%. And, and one thing actually just while it was on my mind there as well, or when you just brought it up, I think you t- said like 0.5%. I, I like to run the kind of fat loss phases mainly at like 05 to point, point, or 0.5 to 1% rate of loss of body weight. Would you kind of differ with that or would you be in any any zones or – Completely person dependent, completely individualized, I know. But for the average person at an average body fat percentage, where would you like to kind of see those numbers? So I like if we're using, if I don't have the ability to do body fat percentage measurements, like uh, I have, I've got a a body metric ultrasound device I have, I have calipers. We use the Navy body fat test, especially for online people who can't get body fat done. I've got a DEX available to me. Like, we can get that, and, and I think that's going to be the best way of doing it. Yep. But if you don't have that available to you, then body mass is probably the next best thing. That and circumference measurements. So what I'll look at is for guys, 0.5 to 1% of their body mass loss per week. And for girls, usually like 0.4 to 0.8. Um, the fatter you are, or I, you can't say that anymore, can you? Uh, the more the more stored energy you have on your body, um, you can go a bit faster. So you can go, if you have a lot of stored energy, you can go much higher than 1% because when you have that much energy, you're not really at any risk of losing yeah. bone and muscle mass. Once you get to the point where you are reasonably lean, we probably want to slow that down. Okay. So if I get somebody to say, 15%, you know, from 15% up, I might focus on closer to that 1%. When we get to 15, we might be closer to about 0.5. And then, then when they start getting close to 10, then it's like, okay, let's just try to knock off a couple of hundred grams a week. There's no, you already look amazing. Let's just chip it away over time because what's the rush? Like, yeah. you know, especially at 10%, if you want to get down to 5%, cool. I see that you're a person that likes to suffer and feel like shit all the time. Great. So, you know, why, why, why suffer worse to get there? And like, what's your why of doing that anyways? Like that's, yeah. you want to get staged lean, but you don't compete. Okay. If you're going to do it for a photo shoot, great. Let's do it in a slow way where you're still eating plenty of food and you don't have to ex- ex- exercise excessively. 
you're going to have a better finished product. And then it's easier to pull you back to 10% without you going crazy and hitting a pizza hut buffet every, every day. Yeah. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. And actually that kind of leads us into a next point about calories and, um, that, that concept, like is a calorie, just a calorie, um, is what something I'd like you to try and unpack and, and kind of the benefits of a higher quality food diet when it comes to, uh, a body fat loss phase or, muscle growth for that matter matter as well. Yeah, this is great. Cause I, I was actually, I just, I got off a mentorship call and I was talking about this to a guy and, and I was saying, cause I, that's some stuff I was thinking about this morning because all I do is think about this stuff. So that's <laughs> basically my entire life, which is sad, but you know, that's, you have to be a little bit obsessed to, to kind of, to keep yeah. progressing yourself. Right. Um, is a calorie a calorie? Yes. A calorie is a fucking calorie. It's a unit of measurement of heat. Okay, a carb calorie and a protein calorie and a fat calorie, it's the same fucking calorie. Just like saying an inch is a fucking inch. If I, if I measure an inch in Australia or I measure an inch in America, if, if you think about Australia as being a carbohydrate and America as being a protein, it's still a fucking inch. Now, the difference is a macro is not a macro. That's what people should say. It drives me insane when people go, you know, calories aren't all the same. If I'm talking about these calories, nutritional calories, it's the fucking same, right? It's the same. It's the macro that's different, right? And nice then the thing I was thinking about this morning is, um, you know, clean foods versus dirty foods. Now, here's one thing that, that, that just grates me because the evidence-based crowd, they get on these concepts of, they be, they're very reactive about things. And so they hear somebody say detox and they lose their fucking minds. They hear somebody say probiotic and gut health, they lose their minds. Um, if I say clean food versus dirty food, they go, oh, there's no such thing as a dirty food. What the fuck is that? You need to wash it with bleach. Shut up, man. Here's the thing. Like you can say clean versus dirty, or you can say more beneficial versus less beneficial. It's just a matter of semantics. Same fucking thing. You and I can agree that if I'm picking a carb, uh, a sweet potato is probably inherently better than a fucking Twinkie. Now that's not to say you can't have a Twinkie. You can eat a Twinkie diet and lose weight. But if you want to look at health, you know, we're going to agree that, you know, a sweet potato, uh, a steak, a little bit of butter and some green beans is probably a lot better than having Pizza Hut pizza. I've got Pizza Hut on my mind because I just found a buffet near here and I can't wait to hit it after I get done dieting. But I mean, it's the thing like that we're confusing the general population because we're saying, hey, a Twinkie's not dirty. You can have it. So then they end up, you, Jim Poppers, they're just going to eat Twinkies all the time. Like I'm all about flexible dieting. And the way I look at it is the cleaner you eat, if you're staying within your calorie guidelines, your macro guidelines, the cleaner you eat, the faster the progress is going to be and the healthier it's going to be. If you want to have treats, there's nothing wrong. You're still going to get there. It's just going to slow. It's going to delay the process down a little bit. And for me, the quality is not going to be as good because you don't have the micronutrients that you need. There's certain things in some of some of the processed foods that act as anti-nutrients and, and deplete cofactors and vitamins because you got to process that stuff out. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a good or a bad food. It just means that one's going to be way more beneficial, clean. One's not as beneficial, kind of dirty, right? So we, we tell our clients, look, if you can eat most of the time really what's considered clean foods, lean proteins, you know, good fatty acids, a lot of fiber, good choices in your, in your carbohydrates. And then you save those, those, that dirty stuff, save it four times where you just really want it. Right. If you're eating clean most of the time and you're like, man, it's Saturday night, I'd really love some popcorn. 
and some fucking uh, uh, ice cream. Fucking have it, right? The pro you just don't want to have that every day because when you eat hyperpalatable foods, it makes it harder to eat things that aren't hyperpalatable because your taste is going to be screwed up. So it's a lot easier to stay clean on a diet than it is to do dirty and just use the dirty foods once in a while when you really want to scratch that itch. Hundred percent. And and is there something as well that would like have a negative effect on performance and things like that if the if these quote unquote like not clean foods or dirty foods will have on our train performance and our day to day and blood glucose levels and things like this? What's the kind of negative effects that these these kind of if we're having a if you see these people or see people who would like have a yes, I'm I'm eating two thousand calories a day, but then you unpack their diet and the quality is just really poor of eating crisps and ice cream and, and Twinkies all day, every day of the week. But yeah. they think that their calories are in check, so they're okay. Would what would you say to that person then? Well, and the, well, here's the, I think first we need to say what what the problem is. You know, if we say okay, calories a calorie, cool. A macro is different and different macros are different. Like not all carbs are four calories per kilo or per, per gram. Some of them are 3.7. Some of them are 4.3. Same thing with fatty acids and same thing with proteins. These are all approximations. Now you don't really have to worry about that, but anything that's easier to digest, like something that's already broken down, like a processed food is going to create large increases in glucose or large increases of fats. And sometimes not fats that are very beneficial. If you're eating a lot of hydrogenated oils, that's going to screw up with inflammatory processes that makes it harder to regulate inflammation and recovery and things like that. Um, so again, and it's dose makes the poison. So it's not like you can't have it. It's that, well, we probably want to limit it a little bit. Now, we also have to understand too, that once things get into a cell, bloodstream or the cell, because a fat's not a fat and a carb's not a carb, they can all do different things. Like if you think that's not true, okay, then explain the difference between fructose metabolism and carbohydrate metabolism. They're metabolized completely differently and in different areas of the body. If you look at, well, carbs are all carbs. Cool. Eat, eat all sorbitol for all your carbs. When you're pissing out of your ass all day, now tell me that a carb is just a carb. I'm going to have a sugar alcohol, which is technically considered a carb, and I'm going to be pissing my brains out all day because I can't metabolize it, right? So, you know, ultimately, I think on one side, you got to agree with them because when you break things down, whether it is uh, dextrose or whether it's fructose, galactose, if it's a, uh, if you're looking at like a disaccharide, a polysaccharide, it's all going to break down to the same inherent thing in your body. But there are repercussions. The more shit you eat, the more your body has to then do damage control against that stuff. So it's better for health optimization to try to eat as clean or beneficial as possible and limit the treats when you need them. Now, if you're an athlete, a lot of things change because sometimes the only way to get the food fuel that you need is to eat some dirty shit. Yeah. I don't want people to, to, to misconstrue what I'm saying because um, I, I, I do eat a lot of shit and so do my clients. Um, there's a point where it's like you, you get to the on the clean bandwagon soapbox too much that makes people scared to eat a fucking Skittle. Yeah. Um, I had a client one time, she, uh, played AFL and Gaelic football and, uh, she was massively starving herself. I got her eating way more. Her injuries went away. Her performance went up. She was stressing out before a match and she goes, what do I eat? I don't have enough food. And I go, okay, what do you have available? She goes, um, I'm at this store and I, uh, uh I like Skittles or Skittles. I'm go, okay, grab a family bag of Skittles and eat those. And she was like, really? But what about the red dye number 40? 
I'm like, who gives a shit? Just eat the fucking Skittles. She had a fucking amazing game. And every time before her match, every Sunday, it was like, what do I eat? Well, Skittles tended to work really well. But what about all the dyes? And Just eat the fucking Skittles, man. Do you, yeah. do you want your performance or not? So, and that's, again, the pendulum. People can swing too far to clean side, dirty side. And come on, guys. Somewhere in the middle is really the, the truth of all this stuff. Yeah, I think that last last sentence really, really summarized it. And and the the fact, even just you saying it there, that the macro is not a macro and calories a calorie calorie is a calorie, but the macro is not a macro, I think is is yeah. much, much, much more applicable. Um in terms of this is one thing that I did really want you to unpack, and this is something that I, we were talking off air. I did hear you discuss in a podcast before. And I think that once we get to a certain stage in a dieting phase. Um, where we've, let's say we, we've already done 12, let's set up a scenario. An average Joe has set up, a, has done 12 weeks, 12, 13 weeks of dieting at this stage. So food is going to be low, more than likely. Cardio is probably going to be a little bit higher than usual. Um, and then we've plateaued and we drop food, 100 calories training, non-trained day, no movement. Maybe we drop another 100 calories training, non-trained day, no movement. Maybe we add an extra day cardio, no movement. We then think the two options then for us is one, to push much harder in that pedal, or two, potentially move away from a dieting phase. So what's your thought process about this kind of stuff, and what's the negative effect, or can you actually move through that fat loss plateau? Uh, you can. You can move to that flat, fat loss plateau, but is it really productive? That's the question, right? <clears throat> you know, if you, if you keep removing food and you keep creating a calorie deficit, of course, you're going to keep losing weight. The, the problem is that your, your body is taking an assessment of everything, right? So I, when I teach in my courses, uh, I teach um, your endocrine, endocrine system is kind of like a business structure. So at the top of the business, you have your CEO, which is the hypothalamus, right? And so if you think about what is a CEO, what do they do? Well, they look at financial records, they look at the history, they look at projections, and they direct they delegate work to other managers that then delegate things to their workers and all the different departments in order to move the business one direction or another. So if I keep removing food, you know, he's talking to his next uh, top guy, which is going to be the pituitary and the pituitary isn't going to talk to all the departments, thyroid, gonads, uh, adrenal system, all that. And then those different departments are going to send out their workers, which are all the hormones. Now, in a business, you, you, you got to look at your run sheet. What's the cash in? What's the cash out? How much do we have in reserves? So what can we actually do? If you think about um, energy, and we can just call it calories, but what we're really looking at is it's energy. Energy is cash. Do I have enough cash to run all my departments? If I run out of cash because I'm doing way too much exercise and I'm not bringing enough uh, money in, so I've got too much labor and not enough money, then I have to make an executive decision of how do I save the company? Well, what's the first thing a company does when it's losing massive amounts of money? And we'll we'll say the second thing. The first thing is they do is they give the CEO a raise, which is that's not how this works in your body, which is awful. Um, but what they, they start laying people off. So they're like, okay, we're gonna we're all, all these all the testosterone we can't pay you, so we're gonna have to put you on furlough. Um, the thyroid can't pay you either, so we got to cut some people off, and we have to we have to basically make make our department smaller. So then you get subclinical hypothyroid issues, you get low testosterone, you can't grow pretty hair, skin and nails, you know, um, you can't, you, 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 you can't actually tap into what you need. And so if you think about it, this is okay. I just thought of this. Okay. Initially in a diet, 
you can draw a loan from the bank and the bank is your fast sales. But eventually bankers aren't going to give you any more cash because you're not paying the cash back. So you get to the point where you're in financial ruins. The only thing you can do is lay off people and lay off departments until your body catches up. So the only way that you're going to catch up at that point is by getting a loan from a different bank and that's food coming in. Okay. So if you can't get, if you can't tap into endogenous food because you've laid off the thyroid, you're going to have to go to an outside source. So maybe, maybe if you're in America, you go to China and ask them for some money. I don't know. I'm winging this, this analogy at this point. Um, but you know, then if you have to get, if you have to go to an outside bank, like another, like another country or whatever, um, there's going to come with some repercussions and some, some, uh, some, uh, what am I looking exceptions for this, right? So it makes it prohibitively harder to pay that back. So then in the scheme of endocrinology, you start binging because your brain's like, hey dude, I need some food. So I'm just gonna binge. And you're trying to you're trying to repay the bankers. The problem is the interest rate's super high. So now you have to give the fat sales, the bankers, more money, extra money. So all this fat that you've pulled off, well, you're gonna end up with that plus some interest, right? So the key is to manage your run sheet, right? So I have two choices. I can go fast for a small amount of time, or I can go slow for a longer amount of time. Um, if I go fast, I can't go fast for very long. So I have to have a beginning and an end date. So let's say, you know, for a personal trainer's perspective, what, what time period is the most important thing when you onboard a new client? You have to show them results in this amount of time, or you're not going to be training them past 12 weeks. The first three weeks, if you don't show them marked improvements, whether that's fat loss or sleep or less pain or muscle or strength, you're probably not going to keep them long term unless they just really like you. Sometimes people train with people because they like them. They're not getting results, but they just like them. Right. It's like buying a it's like buying a European car. You know, this thing's going to fucking break down, but you love your car and you don't care how much you have to pay to keep it running. Right. It makes no fucking sense. Or like women who wear expensive shoes. Your shoes look good, but your feet are all fucked up and your back hurts, but you're going to keep wearing those shoes. So that's like a, a, somebody who keeps paying a trainer for no results. Now, let's say first three weeks, imperative, I get results to show proof of concept. So the first three weeks, I might go on a very low calorie diet, give them a lot of exercise. I might pull carbs out to lower some water. They see some weight loss. Maybe their blood pressure gets better. Now you've got proof of concept, but now that has to end. And we have to go on a cruise mode for a while. And so we might go three weeks hard and then we cruise for like 10 to 12 weeks and we just chip away and then we do another drop and then we go another 12. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you say, well, I need to show them in the first six months. So you just put them on this 40, 50% caloric reduction and you make them suffer through that for six months. And then they're good for a few weeks and then all of a sudden they start binging and now they can't sleep well and now they've got constipation and their guts are a mess and they're sore all the time and now they've got new niggles. It makes no sense. So um, what I prefer to do is show them in the first few weeks and say, okay, now that you've seen what we can do in, in a short period of time, we're going to cruise and just chip away uh, and then we're going to do another one of these blasts at a later date. Okay, very nice. Yeah. And that kind of bring, brings it to the, the point that we were talking about there of, of just taking, taking your time with it a little bit more than, than just having that, that blast. And again, yeah, we can make them shredded in 12 weeks, but is that longevity? And probably the bounce back rate after that is going to be quite poor, like the binge eating and stuff like that. And um, one thing that you did say that was, that was quite interesting was that, that thought process of the hypothalamus laying off your testosterone and laying off your, 
hair, skin, nail health and things like that. So you're saying that when we get down to a really low level of, of food intake and stuff like that, all these hormonal and metabolic functions kind of go out the window then for us to continue to lose body fat. Is that what you meant? You will, but your thing is, you're not just losing body fat. Now you're starting to lose other things. You're losing yeah. enzymes that are that you're going to need when you pile food back on. You're losing muscle mass. If you lose muscle mass, you're using places to put fuel, places to store fuel, places yeah. to burn fuel. So it's really it's really imperative that we try to do not not lose any muscle at all, or even do if you think about a recomp. If I eat sufficiently high amounts of protein, even in a slight calorie deficit, I can still put on muscle tissue because the thing is you're never truly in a deficit. Okay. Now this is the concept that, that, that I think I had drank three bottles of wine and started thinking about this again, this, I never shut this off even when I'm wasted. So, um, if you were in a true calorie deficit, you would be dying. Okay. Because you've got people think about food as, as your deficit, but it's not. If you take food away, you have food you've eaten before that you couldn't use before. You're going to tap into that until you can't tap into that effectively. And then you've got to get it exogenously. So that's what you're managing exogenous versus endogenous fuel, fuel substrates, fuel sources. Right. Um, if you were truly in a calorie deficit, you know, you'd have to be at a point where you don't have any more muscle to eat. You don't have any fat to eat. It'd be like, you know, getting out of, uh, you know, getting at Nazi Germany when they found, you know, all, all the Jewish people in Auschwitz and some of the other camps, you look at them, they're just skin and bone, right? If they survived. No, nobody these days in a, in a first world is going through that, right? So um, you're, you're not going to starve to death, but with the compounded stress of living these days, um, you can push yourself to the point where it's not a, not a starvation mode, but you can get to a point where your, your brain will uh, desensitize your metabolic rate to the point where everything drops. And then when you go into your maintenance is so low now that anytime you go above that in a binge or like trying to go back to maintenance, your maintenance is not your maintenance anymore. Now your maintenance is a surplus, right? So what we don't want to do is create that situation where your maintenance is fuck all because you haven't given your body enough food and it's, it's done with its job by keeping you alive, by lowering the metabolic rate to accompany not a lot of food coming in and not being able to get it off your body. So, um, but it's very easy if you just take a long game approach and you say, okay, I only need to pull enough food out and do enough exercise to get the ball rolling. If I have a, if you have a 15 to 20% deficit, when you look at, okay, what's my BMR, now I need to account for thermic effect and NEAT. Now I need to, to look all my exercise. If I look at the total TDEE, if 15 to 20% deficit gets me moving towards that goal, 40% is not better, not necessarily. It can be better for a short amount of time, but I still have to go back up because the longer I push and very low energy availability, the more prone I'm gonna get for osteoporosis, low testosterone, low thyroid, low progesterone, low estrogen, low ability to store glycogen, injuries, thinking, sleep. Like, like I never have people come in and say, you know what? I would really love to get really lean and to lose my erection and have no interest in sex. And you know what? I'd really love for all my hair to start falling out. Um, like that's, and I'd love to get injuries. And you know what? I sleep really well. I'd love you to fuck that up. No one's ever asked me to do all that shit for them. But that's exactly what we do when in an effort to get lean, which is a very um, ego driven 
you know, getting to the levels of leanness that people ask me to get them to, it's a very ego-driven, narcissistic thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. But the, the, it's the way you get there that's the wrong thing, like trying to rush it and wanting to be lean yesterday instead of saying, well, this is going to take 24 weeks or this is going to take 15 or this is going to take 48. Like, what's your fucking rush? Yeah, 100%. I wish you really, really liked that that analogy or, or when put the thing that you said there about people coming in and and not saying that they want to lose all these the main thing that i'm picking up now is more hormonal functions and stuff like that that we can lose so quickly if we're really aggressive in this approach and in terms of um again just a, another scenario for you that if we have uh pushed again we've been dieting for let's say a prolonged period of time let's say 12 16 20 24 weeks whatever it is and we get to a stage where we get to a point of diminishing returns and we're starting to feel our energy or performance or mood and stuff like that suffer from that. Do you run diet breaks at that stage or how would you, again, individualize and completely person specific, but what would that kind of approach be at that stage of a dieting phase? Okay. So what we do is we use the basic clinical SOAP model. So SOAP, subjective, objective assessment and protocol, right? So the first thing we do is we need to look at the symptoms. How do you feel? Um, how do you feel about what's going on? And then what are the symptomatic things? Your sleep's getting disrupted. You're waking up 10 times a night to pee. You can't think straight. You're losing things. Short memories going. Um, you're irritable all the time. Um, you, you notice that you're not had like your fingernails aren't growing like they used to. Your hair's not growing like they used to. Your hair looks dull and not shiny. Your skin's getting flaky. You're cold all the time. You get cold hands and feet. Those are the symptomatic things that we look at first. Now we need to line up those symptoms with some type of, uh, of value. So it needs to have a number that can be attributed to it. So for instance, if I get a baseline body temperature from somebody, like let's say mid afternoon, two o'clock, and you're sitting at 36.8, okay? On average, that's normal, right? Um, and then you've been dieting for say three months and all of a sudden you tell me, man, I'm freezing cold all the time. I haven't pooed in three days. I'm super snappy at my partner man, I'm just not feeling well rested. Cool. Let's do another body temperature. And they find that they're at 35.8. Okay, cool. We need to go on a diet break because your body temperature is associated with metabolic rate. If you drop a, a one degree, that's going to have a massive effect on your metabolic rate. Now, can you push forward and push through it? Yes. But What's the point? Because you're struggling to stay compliant. You're struggling to get your workouts and you're not sleeping well. You're probably going to end up in a divorce. Is it worth abs to, to divorce the person you love? Your kids are miserable because you're miserable. Why not just take a three-week diet break or, or even longer um, and then work on a recomp? Maybe go back to maintenance, less 10%, keep your protein high, get more sleep. You're still going to lose fat and gain muscle. It just, you might not, may not lose fat as quickly, but at least you'll feel normal. And then when you feel normal and all your metrics look good, cool. Okay, now we'll go into three weeks, six weeks. We, we know based on history, how long you can go before the shit hits the fam. So we're gonna go that length of time minus maybe one week. And so that might be six weeks and then we take another diet break. Okay, really interesting, yeah. And the thing is too, the longer you push yourself into the hole, the longer the diet break has to be. Cause I know like um, the guys at Renaissance periodization, whatever time you spent dieting, they want you to spend two thirds of that time in a maintenance phase. So here's the thing. If you push it for 20 weeks, okay, now you're going to have to take a, a maintenance phase for like 12 to 14 weeks. 
is are you willing to do that? If the answer is no, then maybe use shorter blocks of dieting and shorter blocks of maintenance so that maybe it's four weeks of dieting with two weeks of maintenance phase. Great. So you make this big drop, you maintain and chip, make a big drop, maintain and chip. And you, that's going to be a longer, some more sustainable approach for most people. But a lot of it comes down to your psychological state too. Like what is your reason for wanting to do this? If you have an extrinsic and uh, motivator that pushes your intrinsic motivation high enough, you can power through it. So, uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, when I decided to start competing in jujitsu, uh, I was sitting at like 112 and I said, okay, I don't want to be 112 because honestly, I don't feel fast at this position. I don't feel well conditioned. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to roll with dudes that are like 140 kilos and have to compete against them. So I took six months and dropped down to about 93 kilos. And then I ate back up to 97, which is the, the weight class that I compete in. And I found I performed really well. And then I had to fight against 140 kilo people anyways, because my competition coach is a fucking insane Serbian guy. That's like, you get to compete with everybody. I thought I was going to do the masters with all the old dudes like me. He's like, no, you do younger, older, all weight class. And I went, okay, fuck. So that, <laughs> luckily, it panned out because of the conditioning. Being more conditioned sometimes helps when your technique sucks like mine. Yeah. But um, so in that time, I mean, I lost about 20 kilos. And, uh, and the thing is, like, it's 20 kilos in six months. And somebody who's already kind of lean, hmm. you're, I was sitting around 23% body fat, which isn't too lean but got down to like 8% body fat and then ate up to 97. But, and it sucked. It did. It sucked. But um, I, there was an, a motivational aspect that I wanted it that bad enough to power through it. Most gym pop people don't. Uh, wanting to wear, uh, wanting to wear a one piece bathing suit at the beach because you're embarrassed not to, 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 to take anything off is not a big enough driver for you to be able to push yourself into the hole as much as somebody who has a competition coming up or a photo shoot. So when you're looking at context of things, if you have an athlete, somebody getting ready for a bodybuilding show, they're willing to suffer because they're going to get on stage. Joanne from next door is not going to do that just because she wants to wear a fucking one piece at the beach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. And I'm, I'm having that again, bringing that back to that deadline, having that date for a bodybuilding show where you have a, a jiu-jitsu <clears throat> date or something in mind and um, i think it allows the motivation to be a bit higher because you know it's just for that period of time yeah. whereas if everyone's just doing it to be lean all the time it's just it's never going to have that and um, never going to have that effect and one little question i did have was uh, around the kind of topic of calorie sensitivity and um, sometimes that i um i've seen or i've heard and with clients myself when we died for prolonged periods of time and um, our kind of our calorie sensitivity obviously gets a little bit much well, much lower. When you run it and that bring it back to that diet break, then taking it out and even back staying in a surplus or in a deficit or bringing it right back to maintenance, how long are you trying to run those kind of diet breaks for? Is there a length of time? I know that you said that that was actually a really nice um, thought process. I can't remember the guys who you, you said did it, but two thirds of your dieting uh, should be that. And I actually just put up a post the other day about that. The longer you diet, the longer you need to get out of that dieting phase in the yeah. diet break four is there kind of would you run off those kind of two-thirds of time dieting into a yeah on the person of course i think i think if you're not using any biometrics then that's a that's a pretty good it's very generalized but it's a very good place to start 
Um, I think like looking at your symptoms and it really like writing a log down weekly of how I felt this week. Um, and then you going back and seeing how you're declining. Oh shit, man, man, I'm really screwed up. And then, then coming out of the diet, going on a diet break, more of a recomp, um, and then keep journaling and you can see like how you went and how you started going up and you're like, okay, I've been diet breaking for five weeks. I actually feel pretty good. Let me see how, cause you're going to forget how you, how bad you felt. Yeah. Let me go back seven, eight weeks ago. Oh my God. What, who is this person that's writing this shit? That's not me. Okay, yeah. Oh, that was you at that time. Then you're like, okay, cool. So now I, I know how long I can diet and then how long you need to diet break. And then if you, but if you're using metrics, I think the body temperature is brilliant for that. And I've, I've gotten a lot of flack with other evidence-based colleagues about this. Well, that's not shown in literature, but yeah, fuck off. Here's the thing. I can tell you right now, evidence is not just in the literature. It's also what we see in the field. Total. Yeah. We push somebody down. Uh, we have people that lose 25 kilos in 12 weeks and we see them go from like 37 degrees to like 35, six. We pull them out, give them a diet break for a few weeks. Within say five, six days, they're at, 36, 8, 37. We hold that for another week and then now we do another big drop. And then we 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 figure out how long they can go and before we need to diet break and we try to stay ahead of that curve. If you stay ahead of it, you don't have to diet break as long. Um, but I think sorry, just one last thing. I think one of the things that the misconception is that you're gonna go on a diet break and get fat. Okay, if you if yeah. you stay ahead of the curve and you go on a diet break and you don't go crazy and binge and do dumb shit, you should be able to keep losing body fat or you might not lose body fat, but at least you're putting on muscle because you might be in a slight surplus with high protein. Um, both of those are great things, whether you barely chip away fat and you're putting on muscle or you know at least you're holding on the muscle and, and, and holding on to fat, you can always do another hurrah and, and drop back into a deficit. Brilliant, man. Yeah, I really, really like that. And, and that. Analogy. I don't know if you know, he's actually an American trainer, Nick Loff. Have you heard of him? Mm, nah. Oh man. Yeah. If you love watching people train heavy, it is just crazy, crazy strength. Like squatting six, 700 pounds for reps. Like he's 21 or something. Nick mm. Loff, an unbelievable, really, really high. He works under Camp Jansen, uh, a coach. Anyone who is listening as well, please go uh, watch some of his videos. Just unbelievable motivation. But I was listening to a podcast re- recently on him and he talks about this red line understanding how far you can push and noting like we can maybe go over that red line a little bit every now and again, but then we know how we know how to pull it back. And that analogy that you said there about let's diet hard. And now we can almost predict, Oh, when we've done it for this long or this rate of losses speed up, sped up or this period of time, then we know then let's pull it back out. I think that was a really, really nice analogy. Absolutely. Like I, I love cars. I love fast cars, right? And and computers. So I do use a lot of analogies like that. And look, man, you can drive if you're racing somebody. You can you can redline that thing before you shift. Yeah. But if you were to do that all day, every day, and constantly redline, your car's going to start falling apart. Yeah. So, you know, a car. If you think about the way a car produces energy, it's very similar. Like engines make calories. If you can measure amount of energy in an engine with calories. But uh, if you think about what you need to make an, a car faster, you know, the first thing you need to do is you've got to get more oxygen in the car. So maybe you put a turbo or supercharger on it, or you put nitrous com- compressed oxygen. Um, the secondary thing is you need more fuel. So if you want more performance, you have to get more oxygen in that's your aerobic system and you need more fuel. That's your food coming in and you need more 
transporters for that food. So that's amino acid transporters, fatty acid transporters, glucotransporters. Um, and then you got to make sure that the structure of the car can handle it. Is the car, is the, uh, is it aligned? Are the wheels on tight? Does it have the drivetrain and the tires to put the power to the floor? So a lot of the thing, same thing can be said of people. If you are doing a lot of exercise and you're increasing the oxygen, but you don't bring enough fuel and you have like poor fuel injectors, well, your car is going to start running rich or lean or whatever, and it's, the engine's going to blow. The engine's, it's, it's not going to produce the energy you need it to. Same thing happens in humans. If I'm doing a lot of exercise, but I don't support that with enough food, performance goes down. Um, if I do that, then metabolism, metabolic rate goes down. If I add more food and I bring in more oxygen, performance and metabolic rate goes up. And so it's very, very similar. Yeah, nice. Really, really like that as well, actually. And um, in terms of the, actually, we're going to go la two last questions and I won't keep you any longer. Um, so the main kind of thing, or one thing that I did want to touch on was the, when we do enter um, an aggressive dieting phase, we know we are entering into it. What are the common mistakes that you might see the average show or uh, general pop population make when entering a dieting phase? And how would you correct and advise these mistakes? I think one of the things is not taking a global assessment of where you are. Um, because the thing is, you need to look, where are you physiologically? Are you even ready to begin this journey? And the second thing is, are you there psychologically? Okay. Can you actually do it? Because, you know, if you pushing hard only works, if you have the mindset to push through the, the tough times, if you're going to break the minute things get difficult, then maybe you should slow down a bit. And uh, another thing is what's your why? Like, why do you feel you need to do this? Because that's important because motivation only goes so far if you don't have a good why. Um, I think a lot of things, identity as well, because people do a lot of this stuff for the wrong reasons. If you're overweight and your doctor says you need to lose weight or you're going to die, that's a big motivator. That's a different thing than somebody who says, oh, I've got the opportunity to be a model in Maxim. That's a, there's a, a complete one of them is I'm going to die versus one of them is, ooh, I'm going to get fame and fortune and all this. So those are two different drivers. You need to make sure your driver is good enough to keep you compliant long enough to get where you want to be. A lot of people just decide to lose weight. They don't know how much weight they want to lose. It's usually a lot more what they need to lose is a lot more than what they think they need to lose. Yeah. Um, I think that people need to stop rushing things. Um, you know, if you were going to go, if, if you were in a, uh, let's say you had a neighbor that was pissing you off, you know, maybe he built his fence too far onto your property and all this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go buy a fucking pipe bomb and blow his house up. You'd probably just go slap him, right? There's no reason to throw a nuclear bomb on something when words will work, right? So why, why jump into things and smash yourself when you don't really need that at the start? You use that for when you get stuck. Um, another issue that I see is, is in the middle of training too. So uh, I don't know how much you know about making uh, about Texas barbecue, Nothing. Okay. So Texas barbecue, it's a bit science, it's a bit art, it's a bit passion. It's a bit passion or a, a, a bit passion, a bit, uh, a bit, a bit beer, lots of beer. You need lots of beer to go through a long smoke. Um, when you cook a brisket, there's this period of time that's called the stall. Okay. So it's cooking, it's cooking, and then it stalls and nothing changes and you have to tough out the stall and then it progresses. And the stall can be an hour. It can be 10 hours. It depends on your equipment and your skill. When people hit the stall in, in fat loss, 
They just automatically assume that they just need to do more work and eat less food when actually what might be happening is maybe your maintenance now dropped and you are in a surplus, but you're building muscle. And if you just wait out the stall and not do anything crazy, your fat loss will come again, right? So, uh, you know, in your stall could be a week or three weeks. Just if you're taking circumference measures and you're taking a global assessment of things, sometimes you just need to wait out the stall and not worry about that plateau as being an inherently bad thing. And, and getting this emotional attachment with scale is something that I have had to have a conversation the last number of weeks actually is, is about that with one or two clients. And just like it depicts our mood, like if we have lost 0.2 kilos in the scales this week, we're not at that 1% rate of loss that we're looking for. Like it just, it just changed our whole mood. Yeah. That kind of emotional connection with this. It's just because it's just such an objective number that they quantifiably say, this is the only way I'm moving forward is if that scale is moving forward. Yeah. Where maybe it, it might be something else. Like maybe, maybe we ha have done other things outside that like our sleep is better or um, resting heart rate has dropped or we've probably added more tissue, something like this um, that could potentially have been there. So I think there are some fantastic, um, uh, definitely things that people, are, we can advise people on what to do mm -hmm. if they are entering a dieting phase. Yeah, look, it's, and that's the thing, right? It's identity politics. People identify their self-worth with a skill because commercialism and capitalism tell you that that's, that's your thing, right? Yeah. Um, but it's not. I mean, here's the thing. If you want to weigh less, cool, let's, let's go into outer space and stand on the scale. You're not going to look any different. You're going to weigh different. You're going to be happy, but you're going to look the same. You're not training to look for that scale weight to be down. You're training so you look better and clothes feel better. So uh, what we need to do is look, let's look at some other metrics that show success. It's like, hey, I only lost 400 grams of weight in the last two weeks. Yeah, but your squat went up 10 kilos. Mm. How about that? And you know, like, oh, yeah, I only lost 400 grams over the last two weeks. Yeah, but you just told me that you had to go buy another size pants down. Shit, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there you go. You know, so there's we've got to use other metrics. Like, um, look, um, if you're doing cardiovascular conditioning, it's like, hey, look, your 5K time went down 15 seconds and you put 10 kilos on, on your squat. That's how about that? Like, I didn't. And you can actually do your workout without whinging and you can actually put your shoes on without having to fucking sit down and put proper foot on something. How about that? So we need to look at more, more positives. Yeah. Progression isn't just losing weight. It's also building strength, getting more conditioning, sleeping better, pooping better, feeling better, moving without pain. Those things are probably more important initially than just the weight loss. 100%. And so a phrase I like to use them as well as I'm not a scale weight coach. I'm a body composition coach. And that's it. Chase that number on the scales. When, like you said, there can be so many positive factors that has had an unbelievable week from a, from the, the lens of someone else, but we're so narrow-minded into that one number that we step onto every single morning that that just, it goes overhead then. And that, I think that's the, again, the beauty of having a coach that you, they can pull these things your way. Hold on a second. If, uh, if you told me like, Josh, you're, your digestion is much better, your bowel movements are better, your sleep is better, these kind of things, where maybe I might have just narrowed into that one thing for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you only use the scale, that's, that's very easy, right? Like, I'm not paid to get people to lose weight. I'm, get, I'm like you. I'm paid to make you have a rock star body. Um, that's the thing. Like, anybody can lose weight if you starve yourself and do a shit ton of cardio. That's easy. Everybody, if you can just do that and not deviate, 
all right, cool, you're going to lose weight, but are you going to have a nice finished product? So if you look at, um, if you ever saw the Subway commercials with Jared, and we won't get on to Jared's pedophile stuff, which he's in prison for right now. Apparently eating Subway makes you a pedophile or something. But, you know, the whole thing was 600 calories a day or whatever, eating Subway sandwiches. And he went from being really big and fat to small and fat. He didn't look any different. He just lost a lot of weight. No one comes to me for that. And no one's going to pay a trainer to take them. I want you to take the way I look right now and just make it smaller. People have an, an, an image in their head of what they want to look like. And it's usually not that. It's usually, you know, here's an Instagram person or this uh, Victoria's Secret model, or I want to look like fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a different thought process than just losing weight. Body composition and losing weight are two completely different things. They're, they're inherently intertwined, but they're also compartmentalized. 100%. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more there on that one. I think they're really nice analogies as well. And again, one of the posts that I put up the other day was, was that kind of thing where we can just make you, like you said, dick skin lean and just hammer you into the floor. But if it isn't, if it isn't what we want to try and achieve, then there's no, no reason to do so. Um, I, I, you know, I, when I got in the industry, I was just like everybody else. I had, I love the lift weights. I love the squat. I love the deadlift. I love to do all this stuff. And I just thought, People are stupid if they don't want to do this. So I'm going to make all my clients want to want to do this. And it's like, yeah. I failed a lot of people the first, first half of my career because I wasn't listening to what they wanted. I was trying to give them what I wanted for them and they might not, might not want that. So if a, a woman came and want to be trained, I'm like, I'm thinking you're going to be on stage in six months. She doesn't want to do that. Or I get a guy come in. I'm like, I see his potential. I'm like, you're going to be the next world strong man. This dude only wants to look down and see his balls. He hasn't seen in like 15 years. He does not care about doing Atlas stones and log press. And here I've got this dude with a crook back doing that because that's what I like to do. And yeah. so anytime, the way I look at training too, whoever's writing the check is the boss. Okay. So kind of going back to the CEO business model, the CEO is hired to manage things and make sure it's run. But realistically, he has to do that in the context, the owner who's, writing the checks wants him to do. So in a personal training scenario, the, the, the client is the own business owner and they're hiring you as the CEO to manage their business, which is their health and their fitness and their body composition. So we have to say, if, the, if they're writing the check, we have to say, okay, what do you want? I want to lose weight. Okay. How much weight do you want to lose this much? Okay. Now it's my job to educate you on what that weight needs to be and how much you actually realistically need to lose. And then, you know, I have to look, listen at what type of exercise do you like to do? I like to do Zumba and body combat. Oh uh, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Okay. You're going to have to lift weights. I hate lifting weights. I get hurt. Okay, cool. You're going to lift weights. That is not the way this is going to run or they're going to find some other CEO to run the business. Yeah. Somebody comes in and says, I'm a vegan. Ooh, that's bad. You have to eat meat. Now you're challenging their belief system. You're not going to be training them much longer, right? So you have to match up what the client says they want because they're the boss with you being paid to manage how they get this done within the context of what they want to do in the confines of what they want to do, whether that's a religious diet, cultural diet, belief system diet, and what type of exercise they like to do because that's what they're going to actually be compliant with and stop trying to change their belief system. 100%. And literally, it's funny you said that. I just put up a, uh, 
the transformation of Jesse, I think it was no, no longer than two days ago, captioned like clients once over my once. And it's this exact same thing that like, like we got to a stage where yes, I could have just put the foot on the floor and gone to a different, different level of body composition, but that's not what she wanted. We don't, but that's not our goal here. That wasn't our goal when we jumped onto consultation first. So we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't push to where we want to. And like I said, funny, you said the Zumba thing as well. So if a client comes in and says they want to do Zumba and that's 10, uh, their heart rate is 10 higher than where I want it to be for this perfect zone that I want them in. So be it. It's just so what it wants because uh, like you said, that's going to allow them to adhere to it and, and enjoy the process a lot more, but that's you're right. going to get a much better result at the very end. That's right. I mean, if a, if a, if a, a, an athlete comes to me, it's my way or the highway because that's for a dedicated thing. If it's gen pop, okay, cool. Let's figure out what you like to do and what you're willing and not willing to do. And let me work around that. And I think for a long time, you know, I was anti-vegan and, and I'm not anti-vegan. I don't think it's optimal if it's, but if you're doing it because you love animals and all this, then cool. If it's a religious thing, cool. Yeah. If it's because you watch game changers, I'm still going to go cool, even though I don't agree with it. But um, one of my, one of my best friends in the world, um, a woman named Marks, who is in uh, Perth, she's a vegan. And so we have a lot of long discussions about this because I didn't really understand why someone would not want a big fucking Wagyu steak. And I come from Texas, so that's all, like what they do. When you're a baby in Texas, um, you get breast milk and then your parents cook steaks and then they blend it and then put it in a bottle and you suck on steak, right? So um, we had a lot of discussions about this. Just look, you're never going to change someone's belief system. People that go into veganism for... Um, reasons like loving animals or thinking that's the healthiest way. You're never going to change that. All you're going to do is make people not want to work with you. And I went, fuck, you are right. So I just decided to learn how to write vegan diets and help vegans. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know, she, she teaches body combat. And I, I said, okay, she said, uh, come to the body combat. And I went, absolutely not. I'm not fucking doing that. And so eventually I said, okay, I'm going to go to body combat. So myself and Zoe, my wife went in the body combat I was fucking destroyed, destroyed. I'm in the back of this class and I'm seeing girls that are massively overweight, fit as fuck. Never seen that before. These girls are killing it. And I looked at that and went, man, I've been a real asshole being against this type of thing. Like, look at how much joy they're having doing this. And this is probably the only thing they'll do over the week. This is fantastic. So now I'm like pro Les Mills, like, I'm still, I don't want people to think I'm a cardio bunny. I'm still, still love to smash the weights. I think people should do blend of weights and conditioning, mm -hmm. but I, I'm no longer that guy. And I haven't been for a good number of years of like, you don't need to do that. That's bad. You need to do this thing. Right. And so you got to work with what they're willing to do and you got to match your expectations with their abilities. Yeah. hundred percent. I love that. And that's probably something that I, I have picked up uh, from you over the years is, is, um, is to be that kind of chameleon and and just work around the client's needs and wants. And in terms of the last question, the last question before I, I let you go is going to be to every every guest that I come on. I always talk about non-negotiables a lot in my, in my own um, content in my own life. So, what are the three things that you must either practice, do, or have on a daily basis? And what are your non-negotiables? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh man, I got to think about this. You should have given me. I should have thought about this before. Um, yeah, let me think. Um, I look. I am. People don't understand this about me. <clears throat> My wife does, and and people go, "No way!" Everybody thinks I'm a massive extrovert because of what I do. 
Um, but I'm actually a massive introvert. So I need a lot of alone time being around people and teaching all that just wipes me out. So I have to spend a lot of time just by myself, um, um, doing, doing things that I like to do, like playing World of Warcraft. I still, I played World of Warcraft since the start. I still play it. Um, I've got lots of hobbies that are non-negotiable for me. Like I'm into learning about like electrical engineering now because I love car stereo and I'm learning how to work with wood. So me time is a big deal where nobody bothers me because I'm always, there's always somebody that needs something from us. So we're always like with all these people or teaching or, or lecturing and, and performing and all that. But that's a big thing for me. Um, uh, yeah, it's important. Yeah. Like spending time with my wife and my dogs, hugely important. We stay at home a lot. We don't really go out much. You know, we just enjoy being home, yeah. being around the dogs. That's a big non-negotiable for me. Nice. Um yeah, man, I really don't have a whole lot. Uh, being a workaholic is a non-negotiable for me because, look, you know, I went into computer programming, decided that wasn't for me. If I stayed in that, uh, I would be miserable. Uh, but, like, I decided to follow my passion and, and try to be the best version of myself in that in this industry that I can be and help as many people as I can. So when I get up every morning, I can't wait to work. And there are some times where I'm like, and I just can't do this anymore because I'll put in, you know, a 15 hour day, 16 hour day. And then, so I, I'll work until I feel like I'm getting run down and sick and then I'll take a few days off. But yeah, like that's, that's kind of non-negotiable for me, you know. 100% and you're definitely doing a good job and leading, leading the way for us um, regarding the health and fitness industry. And it's obviously apparent at, at the level of, of coaching that you guys do provide with muscle nerds. So, where can people find more about uh, Luke Lehman and also Muscle Nerds and also the courses? And that's one thing I can't wait to get up to you guys. I had it planned for this this year. I was actually in Be uh, Ben Pekulski's um, one over in Melbourne during the year. Mm. And then my other one that I want to try to get up to is, is you guys. So we'll be up there um, when all this craziness is, is gone. Under yeah. Courses. But, um, yeah, it's the, the craziness, right? Uh, so we look, we've got a, a few different ones. And we've got some more that, that I'm, I'm working on building out right now. So we started with our foundations course, which is basically um, digestion, assimilation, gut issues, how to fix things um, in a way that's practical, not crazy, like, uh, you know, gut the gut box you get at your local supplement store. Like, how do I understand what's wrong and, and fix this? Stress, how the brain controls everything it, with biochemistry and carbohydrates. And, and it was a big, like, nutritional foundations course. Yeah. Um, and then, so that was a live one that we can't do. So now I'm making modules out of each of those so that people can learn that. So I'm revamping them, putting them on video. Um, we've got, we just released a nutrition one, which I'm really proud of. We packed in probably more, information I've ever seen anybody pack into a seven or eight hour course. And so basically went through things like we, we did the normal stuff, like low energy availability, reds, uh, how to set calories, all the different macros, biochemically what they do, uh, and then how to choose what to do and frameworks of dieting at different levels of, of uh, stored energy levels, we'll say, instead of, we'll say fatness. Um, and then it went through like periodization of that stuff. And then it also did something which a lot of people don't do is we went into kind of the psychology of things and things like cultural and religious exclusions and food exclusionary diets. Like I look, I'm, I'm, I'm a white dude, you know, you know, I've got like Jewish ancestry, Ashkenazi from Europe, understanding how Jewish people eat, especially if they're religious is a different thing than other people. I was raised Catholic. So I've got this thing like, 
this religion has certain dietary exclusions of things they can and can't do. So does this one. If I need to train somebody who's cultural, like someone who's from India, I've got to know different things about Indian cuisine and how their how their culture revolves around food. If I don't understand that about other other uh, religions or, or other diets, then I can't really help that person effectively because I may write something that offends them or I might write something that they can't actually do. So I, we go into a lot of that type of stuff. Like if you're going to, to pick up clients like that, you must research their situation so that you don't cause offense and that you don't also give them things that are outside of what the zone of what they can do, right? Um, so it would go into a lot of that stuff, how stress, uh, how stress impacts mitochondria and how you move energy through the body. And so it's, yeah, that one's massive. So in that one, people can just get on musclenerds.net and they can just buy it and it's go at your own pace all online with quizzes and a little certification of completion at the end. Uh, and then we have our, our big flagship one, which is the program design course. So that one is massive. Um, you pay for it once, you go through as many times as you want. And we keep adding more stuff to it. Um, so it looks started as like, a, looks yeah, a great course. Dude, it's massive. It started like eight weeks. And then we, I just, me being me, I can't help but just keep adding stuff to it. Yeah. So um, we've added like a sales and marketing one. We've added a video library. We've added um, three days of live lecture in Holland because now we can't do the uh, live stuff. So when you do that program, there's also a three day live workshop you go to when the world opens up um, and we teach everything from stress, uh, exercise, metabolism, traditional periodization, sets, reps, time, and retention, uh, rest, programs on order of exercises. We teach all the assessments you need, like length tension tests, ma uh, manual muscle testing, uh, we teach, uh, fuck man, we teach pretty much everything you need to know that you're not going to learn in your basic certifications. And then there's a form you got have for questions. We have during each of the three intakes a year, we have fortnightly calls where I'll do another lecture. We just did one on excessive kyphosis and what you do to fix that and what you don't do. So yeah, it, it's massive. We, we, um, we record all of the calls and we timestamp them. So Whenever you get in, you still have all the other calls we've ever done for the last four years, and, and you stay in that program forever. Brilliant, and, and the very theoretical, a lot of practical, but how to actually apply it is, is yeah. the golden ticket, and you guys do that um, probably the best in the world. So um, Thank you. I will definitely, definitely be up to you guys for sure, if not joining a couple of the online courses. But Luke, thank you so much for taking this time out of your day. I really, really appreciate it. Obviously, your passion is ridiculous for this and uh, hopefully that i can take a leaf out of your book and try to drive that into my own coaching business thank you very much uh ah, i forgot instagram muscle nerds underscore health yes. websites muscle nerds.net if you like memes especially inappropriate ones you can follow me on instagram at luke lehman uh l-e-a-m-a-n but don't don't expect any sciencey shit and don't mm -hmm. message me on there asking me questions message muscle nerds because that that is basically my account for when i'm taking a shit yeah, I upload all my memes. So I can vouch for Luke here. He puts up a lot of memes. It's good content. It's good, funny content anyway, for sure. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much again. Appreciate you taking the time and we'll catch you soon. You bet. Thank you.